Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We're continuing our COVID-19 online learning experience for our students here at Wisconsin Lutheran College, Wade and I. Uh, he's helping out with my classes and I'm helping him out a little bit in his classes. Um, if you are a subscriber to Let the Bird Fly, we hope that uh, that uh, this will be beneficial to you. Sorry that we're sending a lot of content all at once. You can adjust your um, way you subscribe to us. Just uh, when it downloads to your phone so you don't get everything all at once. Um, please don't unsubscribe, though. We need that for our, just the, in the podcast world. It's important for students. Here is your lecture. Lesson 3.7 <coughs> in Intro to Scripture Theology 105 is our number. And we're going to do Pentecost today and then kind of the early church. And what we mean by that is basically like all of Acts. And uh, so you had a lot of reading to do, and I'm going to assume that you read it. We're just going to highlight some of those things in this class. We just got to we got to go through the whole scriptures in the semester, and so uh, things do uh, fall through the, the cracks, and hopefully you pick them up when you when you read them. So let's talk about the very early church. We're coming off at, after the ascension. And Wade, I, I'm going to ask you a question about this. This is one that's kind of an interest to me. It doesn't really affect any doctrine or anything like that, but when Jesus ascended into heaven, and then later when we have Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming, is it just the 11 and then eventually the 12 or is Mary there? Most art pieces, uh, pieces of artwork from the Renaissance will have Mary there, especially at Pentecost. And if you're careful reading uh, the way Luke writes these things in uh, Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, it seems like when he, he calls the group that Mary is there. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or, or if it, it doesn't really matter in the end, but I've kind of, I'm starting to lean towards that uh, Mary was also there. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble with my Lutheran friends there, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, it kind of put me on the spot. I don't have a good answer for that <laughs> one. I'm not sure. Were you, in growing up Roman Catholic, were you taught that Mary was there at, at Pentecost? I think that depictions were always that, but I don't remember yeah, specifically talking about it. Talking about it. So it's something to think about. I think it's, uh, we're not just, qu we're not quite sure if you, if you read the, uh, read the language there, somebody can correct me if, if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, at least it's an open question there. God likes numbers. There's 11 apostles now because Judas has gone the way of, uh, suicide, we think, uh, well, we know suicide, um, and God wants 12, right? And there's that, the 12 tribes of Israel and the number 12 um, in Revelation, the multiples of the 12 being a symbol of the church. And so they, they bring in Matthias, and it's kind of an interesting way they do it. They, they don't just leave it completely up to kind of randomness. They are part of this, but they also leave it up to God. And so they put forth two men who are capable, right? And so they are using their brains when they say this would be a good person who would be a part of the inner 12. Um, and yet then they cast lots and leave it up to God. And that's, it's kind of a <clears throat> interesting way. We, when we, uh, in our parish, we would decide who was going to be like the next elder and stuff like that. I kind of got rid of voting because, you know, voting means there's a loser and why do we need to do that? Right. And so we would put forth men who agreed to be elders in the church and we literally picked a name out of a hat. And I thought that was a kind of a Acts chapter one to do that. So we got Matthias on board now. He is now going to be number 12. We're going to have a 13 though, because we're going to have one abnormally born St. Paul, which we're going to meet in a little bit. 
If you remember, uh, the disciples were supposed to remain in Jerusalem after the ascension. The Holy Spirit was promised to come upon them, and then they would be witnesses beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea, so the, the surrounding countryside on, uh, around Jerusalem, then Samaria to the north, and then to the ends of the earth, and that's exactly what happens. So there are, in Jerusalem, perhaps the same upper room where they had the Passover meal, on this great Pentecost festival. Pentecost was a, a festival, uh, Penta, think five, right? 50, so uh, 50 days after the Passover, or in the Christian terms, after the Passion of Christ and the Resurrection. So it's, uh, it's about eight Sundays after um, Easter Sunday. And it was a harvest festival that they had later in spring, a late spring harvest festival. And uh, it was to thank God for all of that. But there's some imagery there, too, of a harvest. And then the church going out and bringing in the harvest, that is, believers into the church. Um, we've, we've often heard that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We're always looking for more people to speak words, words uh, the word of God, not just uh, as laity, but also as pastors and teachers in the church. So they're gathered together, and the Spirit comes. There's a rushing of wind, and then what appears above all of the um, uh, disciples as these tongues of fire, right? So the symbol of the Holy Spirit there, that, and they are able to then speak in tongues. And it's a little bit of a debate, but I, I have an opinion about this, is were they able to speak in just gibberish and the people were able to hear in their own language because this is a festival of Judaism. So you have Jews all over the Mediterranean world who have come back who speak different languages. And that symbolizes the gospel going into every world, into every language. Or were the uh, apostles able to speak in foreign languages they did not know and then they could hear that and only the people who were turned off to that uh, only heard gibberish. I think it's probably the former. So they are able to speak in tongues <clears throat> and uh, people are listening to them. This is a big event. This is the birthplace of the church, um, uh, the birthday of the church, so to speak. And uh, we hear that 3,000 are converted. Uh, it's 3,000 baptized, I think, that day, right? I, I think that's the terminology. I don't have the text in front of me. And, uh, and some people who are against this message are sort of making fun of the apostles and saying, uh, these people are crazy. And they even accuse them of being drunk. And then Peter stands up and this is when Peter finally is kind of back to his old self. Well, not to his old self. Now that he's a, he's a theologian of the cross now, not, not so much a theologian of glory, although we all are deep down in our sinful nature. He's a different guy now, right? Uh, you have three states of Peter. You have his, his boldness, but uh, his, his putting his foot in his mouth kind of kind of way. Then you have this period where he's very quiet. He's very humbled by it from uh, Monday, Thursday night until Pentecost. And then you have uh, the leader of the church after that, Pentecost. He's very humble still, um, <clears throat> um, but he gets it now. And he gets up boldly and he preaches a sermon, his Acts chapter 2 sermon. And he starts... It's like the best opening line of every sermon. He says, these men aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning, right? Uh, I always wanted to start a sermon off that way. but uh, And uh, he says they, they have the Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't say, hey, look, that's just great. Look at what they can do like it's a trick. He then preaches Christ. He preaches Christ in this inaugural sermon. 
and, and how he was crucified for the sins of the world. Um, <clears throat> as we go forward in Acts here, we have quite a few uh, events that I highlighted in your reading. This is speaking to students now. I had Acts chapter 3, Peter's early, week, early work. He was able to perform miracles. You have Peter and John who are brought before the Sanhedrin. They are even, um, uh, eventually they're going to be um, arrested and put into jail. You have one of the first martyrs of the church. Sometimes they call him the first martyr of the church. Oh, I'd like to think about John the Baptist as the first martyr of the church, Stephen, who is stoned. We have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 9, we get to Saul's conversion. Um, we have Peter um, and, and clean and unclean animals, Acts chapters 10 uh, through 12. And then we start getting into St. Paul and his first, second, third missionary journeys. And we're going to put his fourth missionary journey off into the next lesson. Um, but maybe we could start with Stephen. I think that's an important one. So Stephen um, is a deacon. There were seven men who were um, not going to be called as apostles. And we remember apostles is someone who was sent, so had a direct connection to Jesus. The, their teaching, the apostles' teaching, is going to be the bedrock, the foundation for the church. Um, but um, in this early church, you had... Um, a couple problems going on, like, where are you going to meet? And, and so they met at houses. They would still go to the temple and, and, and do their uh, a worshiping of God there, right? We don't have a, a split between uh, the Jewish, what we now know as the Jude Jewish religion and the Christian religion. It's all kind of one thing. Um, and, but they would meet in their house, and they would meet for encouragement, but also the breaking of bread. And, and in, in this instance, I don't take it this way in the Emmaus account, but in this instance, I do think it's Holy Communion. I think in Acts chapter 2, we're told that they get together and they break bread. And I think that's a reference to, to Holy Communion, or Acts chapter 1, excuse me, <clears throat> that they are, uh, they, are, they are having Holy Communion there. Um, I just don't see it as, why would the Holy Spirit would tell us about them having lunch? you know, in this, this brief couple sentences of there. So we have the kind of the beginning of a house church movement. Another problem they had is things are going to separate a little bit, and you're going to have people who are going to be Christian. They're Jewish Christians, um, and maybe are being starting to be shunned by the community. But then you also have this influx of Gentile Christians who are definitely outside of the Jewish community. And, and, and this community is going to take it upon themselves to not live like necessarily communally, but they're going to share their resources. Uh, not communally like we would think today as a commune, but they're going to be communal in, in a sense that they have to be. And you have Gentile widows, for instance, and Jewish widows who um, are, are both need to be taken care of. And, and there's a lot of administration stuff that's going on here. Uh, uh, Wade and I do a have done a long series, uh, we call it Winging It's on our podcast about the, the history of Martin Luther. And, and we recall that when the Reformation, you know, is within the Roman Catholic Church, it's not like there's a Lutheran church and then a Catholic church yet. Um, <clears throat> but things are starting to break apart. And the, the what's going to be called Lutherans, the evangelicals, are going the original evangelicals are going to have to have their own kind of administration and and the and and the spiritual leader of this movement Martin Luther who is a theologian at first 
is being brought into some of these administrative kind of questions. And so you can imagine these apostles in a similar way have to do more than just preaching and performing miracles and that kind of thing. They're going to have to work out some of this administration stuff. And so they say it wouldn't be good for us to uh, ignore the preaching of the word uh, to, to uh, you know, serve lunch, right, to, to serve tables. And so they appoint seven men, and this is where we get the word deacon from, seven men who are going to take some of that administrative stuff off of their hands, make sure that the, that, uh, the poor and the widows within the group are going to be taken care of. And Stephen is one of them. Um, now, Stephen uh, also preaches, and he is, uh, he is going to be persecuted for that, for his testimony, for his confession. And there is a mob there that is going to stone him to death. It seems like a brutal way to die, and it is, but would not have been completely unusual in the ancient nearest. And unfortunately, it's not all that uncommon in, in, the, in, the, in the Middle East still today. Much rarer, of course, thankfully, but it still happens there. A, a terrible way to go. <clears throat> and uh, as Stephen is going to... Um, as Stephen is... Um, confessing Jesus Christ, uh, this mob is going to stone him to death. And we hear about this character named Saul, S-A-U-L, Saul, who's not going to get his hands dirty, but he's going to guard the coats of the men who took their coats off so they could really whip those rocks at Stephen. And we're going to find that he's sort of kind of organizing some of this stuff later. He's going to organize a, um, <clears throat> a, uh, a party to go up to Damascus. And uh, hunt down Christians that have moved up into this Syrian town, the Syri- uh, uh, an important Syrian town, an important town in the early church as well, and still today in the Middle East. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Stephen is getting stoned, and as he dies, um, he sees heaven open up, right? And um, he's going to be taken into heaven as, as one of the first martyrs of the church. And, and he does what Jesus did, right? He, he, he asked for forgiveness for these, these people. And, and I got to imagine that that was pretty powerful salt for Saul, who eventually does convert to Christianity and becomes Paul, P-A-U-L, um, that uh, this, was, this was a powerful thing, that the very people who are, who are trying to kill you, that you would ask forgiveness for them. So we can maybe jump ahead there a little bit and, um, and talk about Paul's conversion. Let's, let's do Philip first. So Philip, another deacon, um, <clears throat> meets this Ethiopian eunuch. So Ethiopia, you think of, if you're thinking of your, um, your map of, of Eastern Africa, Northeast Africa, you have Egypt, and then today you have modern Sudan, and then below that is going to be Ethiopia. The Ethiopians have had a large, have had a connection to Israel. So this Ethiopian eunuch is a worshiper of God. He's Jewish, if not by uh, ethnicity, but by religion. Um, the Ethiopian church still today believes that they have the Ark of the Covenant, right? They, they trace uh, some of their religious uh, uh, theology back to the Old Testament. Um, they actually believe they have the Ark of the Covenant and guard it with uh, whatever the Russian version of uh, AK-47s are. And uh, it's quite a scene. Do, do yourself a favor and look that up on the, on the Internet. Um, and so this Ethiopian eunuch is, has not yet heard about Jesus, but he is a studier of the Word of God. And he's an official in um, uh, uh, the Kandase of Ethiopia. So the, the queen, Kandase means queen. The Kandase, we would call it Candace, right? In, in some uh, ways of saying it in English. The Kandase, the queen of Ethiopia. And uh, um, <clears throat> so an important official, and he's probably given some lead time to go and worship his God. 
And uh, on the road down south, down by Gaza, he is um, he and he, he is talking to Philip, and <clears throat> they're going through Isaiah. And the Ethiopian asked Philip, he's like, what is, what is this, the prophet Isaiah talking about? And uh, Philip says, well, this is, this is the Messiah, the suffering servant, the Christ, the, the anointed one. And he came and his name is Jesus. And right then, the Ethiopian eunuch, after learning about baptism and stuff like that, says, why can't I get baptized? And Philip baptizes the Ethiopian right there on the road. And this is very important, right? <clears throat> because we see a very historical thing uh, about an African who is not only attuned to the Jewish religion and the Old Testament, but then is going to take Christianity to Ethiopia, and the Ethiopian church traces it back to that. So uh, uh, often you'll see St. Philip's ch church, uh, the name St. Philip's, um, <clears throat> would be tied to uh, an African-American uh, community within within um, America, specifically in other places in the world. Um, and it's, it's good for us to remember that the history of the church um, comes to us as a very Western thing. And that's just because we have the details of the Western church, right? And St. Paul goes to Europe, and so the history is thrust that way. But that is not to say that there were not Christians living in other places. There, there is a tribe, and I can't remember which country they are, but just north of, of um, uh, South Africa, the country, the modern country, they also believe they have the Ark of the Covenant. And so you have, you have this religion is spread widely, more widely than we, we really appreciate. And so there's untold stories that we're never going to know in Africa. Um, you know, it was said that Thomas made his, all, all his, way, to, all his way, uh, way to India. Untold stories of Christians around the world. There are going to be uh, uh, in heaven, um, Americans will definitely be, be a minority, right? And so it's kind of a kind of a beautiful thing that even in the Old Testament, but then especially in the New Testament, that the Christianity, the message of God, was spread wider than we we have uh, accounted for us in our histories. All right. Let's move to Saul's conversion a little bit here. And then, uh, Wade, I'd like you to take the Peter and Cornelius and the, all that kind of stuff. I think you're pretty good about that since you kind of uh, spent a lot of time with Galatians, uh, that, that kind of food, what's clean and unclean kind of thing. Saul's on his way to Damascus, and there he is. He's got permission from the authorities to round up the Christians and, 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 and imprison them uh, for being this wildly sect within Jewishism with Judaism, what's going to become Judaism, that they want to snuff out. And on the way to Damascus, uh, Christ appears to him. Uh, not really that he can see, but he, it's a bright light. He knocks him down. And um, Saul says, you know, calls him Lord, right? And says, what, what, what did I, what, what, what's going on here? And uh, Saul is told by, by Jesus that he is going to be his, his disciple now. And um, he says, go to Keep going to Damascus, and I want you to go to Straight Street. So think like Broadway or Main Street. Straight Street in Damascus, and there you're going to find a follower of mine named Ananias. So Saul is now literally blinded, and he gets his way uh, with his entourage um, to Ananias. And Ananias is warned about this, and Ananias does not want to talk about Saul because Saul is known as a persecutor of people of the way right now. Uh, we're, we're, we haven't got yet the, to the name Christian yet. That comes a little bit later. And so the people of the way, because Jesus is the way. But Ananias convinced that, um, that he, can, he can talk to Saul. Saul is baptized, and with that, 
things like scales fell from his eyes and he could see not only spiritually the truth of Jesus Christ's law and gospel that he's a sinner and is saved by Jesus Christ and not by laws but he is um, also literally is now going to be see he uh, is no longer blind this is important because remember Saul was a persecutor of Christianity along the way he's going to be renamed as Paul um, he, um, uh, he he is going to be uh, talking with the leaders of the church. They're going to be a little bit weary of him. He spends some time in Arabia with Jesus, and he has made an apostle. Um, and the way I teach uh, about Paul is to think about him, that he went to the Harvard of Judaism, and then he did post-grad with Jesus, right? So he went to one of the top uh, rabbinic schools, if you want to call it, Hillel, no, <coughs> Gamiel, Gamiel? I believe so. Yeah, studied under Camille and then um, had his postgraduate work, his PhD um, in theology under Jesus. And then he is going to be uh, accepted into the church in Jerusalem. And then he's eventually going to be yeah, sent Camilio. out. Yep. Yeah. So um, before we get into Paul's missionary journeys, and we're not going to spend <coughs> a lot of time on that, uh, we got we got these two parallel tracks here. We got Peter and Paul, and this is not going to be the last time that, that they meet. Um, but Peter's got his own things to work out theologically. And um, maybe you can talk about um, clean and unclean animals, this kind of tension that Peter feels as a leader of the church between these Gentile Christians and these Jewish Christians. Sure. So you want specifically the, the Peter and... Yeah, I think so. And then where, take it wherever you want, this tension about the Old sure. Testament laws. Yeah, I think, you know, we think of Paul as the great missionary to the Gentiles, um, but Peter is going to have this revelation as well, and it will be a very important one. And Paul and Peter are both going to be very involved in the relationship between Jew and Gentile in the Paul's epistle to Galatians, in uh, Paul's rebuke of Peter in Galatians chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> but Peter is going to be kind of summoned by the Lord to this house of a man named uh, Cornelius, who was a centurion of the Italian cohort. He's uh, called a devout man who feared God, this is often language that's used for a, a proselyte to Judaism, so someone who had become interested in Judaism. Uh, I might be mistaken, Mike, but I think even in the synagogue there was a place for them, I think somewhat in the in the back. Uh, but this is someone who is definitely interested in Judaism and, and then in the, the Christian faith, we'll see eventually. But he's told to uh, by God um, to go and to uh, send people to Joppa to bring Simon who is Peter, there to him. Uh, and so he has him come, and they they will meet each other. As they're approaching the city, though, before this meeting, uh, Peter's going to have this very important vision. The sheet is... <coughs> well, Peter's hungry, first of all. But the sheet is going to be lowered from heaven, and Peter is told to kill and eat. And he objects like a good Jew would. Um, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean, and the voice comes a second time and says, "What well, God has made clean, do not call common. This happens three times. There's something with Peter and having to be told three times or denying three times, Peter, do you love me three times? Uh, Peter doesn't quite know what to uh, make of this, and the men who were sent by Cornelius come to him, and he is to be brought to Cornelius' house. Uh, he's told to go and accompany them, and he goes and he sees them. And Peter's going to come to a, a very... Uh, important realization. Um, Cornelius isn't sure what to make of meeting this apostle. He falls down to his feet to worship him, so he's very confused. 
Peter says, get up, uh, I also am a man. Um, but he has this revelation, he says, uh, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And this revelation for Peter will be important then. The, the Old Testament Mosaic dietary laws are no longer in effect. But also the distinction between Jew and Gentile has been removed. So it will be Peter, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, who at the Council of Jerusalem says, how can we expect these people to carry a burden that we even ourselves haven't been able to bear under after, the Mosaic After Paul law? points it out to Peter. Right. Yeah, yeah. But um, this will be kind of Peter's aha movement of the church. Uh, in the church, there is no Jew or Gentile. And of the Mosaic law now being put behind people when it comes to their relationship with God, we know uh, baptism, as Paul says in, in Colossians, will replace that and supersede it. Yeah, thank you. And th- this is not a thing that's easily going to go away, right? And and my students have we've we've repeated this over and over again when we talk about the 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 laws of ancient Israel. Um, uh, they they seem odd to us, but just think about it this way. One reason why you have these like cleansing rituals and these dietary restrictions was to keep Israel separate. Remember that the whole Old Testament is about bringing about the Savior. So the promise to Abraham is threefold, family, land, Savior. It's ultimately about the Savior, but it's got to come from a family, and that family needs some land. So you have the promised land and the family and keeping that line of the Savior going. And um, so... you need a tie that binds together a culture. It may be an ethnicity, it may be a religion, it may be a language, it may be a cultural thing. Whatever it is, it's going to tie you together. In the United States, we kind of have shunned money of those, and I think the thing that's supposed to tie us together is the Constitution, but that's a a question for a different time. Um, And you may say, well, how can dietary restrictions keep somebody separate? Certainly God's going to do that militarily as well. But there's a cultural thing, right? And remember, uh, the the Israelites were not being racist here. Like, there's there's no such thing as racism that we think about in modern terms back then. It was a different way of thinking about it. And um, you could be Jewish religiously. There was there's that was perfectly fine and wonderful and beautiful, right? A a, a believer in the true God. That d- didn't matter what your ethnicity was in that certain circumstance. But remember, he's got to keep Israel together. That means a certain separate nation, um, a separate culture. And these, they're the weird ones that believe in one God. They're the weird ones that can't eat uh, pork and shellfish. They're the weird ones that are circumcising their children and stuff like that. And if you don't think that it matters, um, I ask you whenever we have the Olympics again, um, when they have the parade of nations, please tell me where the Moabites are or the Arameans or the Hittites, or the Phoenicians, or the Philistines. Um, <clears throat> they're no longer gone. They have been swallowed up by every other culture, right? Only Egypt still remains, and that's a completely different culture and ethnicity as it was from the Old Testament. But there will be a contingent from Israel. It worked. It actually worked. The As it came to the cleansing rituals, these were theological lessons they were to learn. One was you cannot help but be unclean, right? Anything that had to do with birth or death, a cycle of life made you unclean. Uh, certain other things had, you know, uh, skin diseases and stuff had a practical purpose to them uh, so that infection would not spread. But lesson number was what, one was you were unclean and you couldn't help it. <coughs> lesson number two was you needed to be cleansed. 
And lesson number three was you couldn't clean yourself. You had to be cleansed by an outside source. So go to the temple and go through these washing rituals. Now that Jesus has come, you don't have pictures of this cleanliness. You have the real deal, specifically in baptism. No need to sacrifice because the sacrifice had been made. Nor do you need a separate Israel, Israelite nation for the sake of the Savior. And this is, I think, the, the greatest glory of the Jewish people is that everybody gets to be Jewish in a sense through Jesus Christ. And everybody gets to be a son or a daughter of Abraham. But you don't just change like that. That's difficult. And so uh, uh, you, if, if all of a sudden in our cafeteria here at WLC, they started um, serving dog or horse or something like that, something that would be anathema to us and weird and disgusting. And you said, well, now that's what we're going to serve. You don't have to eat it, but, um, you know, it's going to be served there. And you're going to have to deal with the people who come from a culture where that's okay. That would be very difficult for us, especially if it was tied to our spirituality and to our religion. And this was a commandment from God not to eat those things. So it becomes very difficult. And, and what Peter and especially Paul later on in the Council of Jerusalem and then, and then Paul in the letter to the Galatians is going to say, this is a theological problem. If you think that you're holier because you didn't eat this meat or if you followed these rules... Um, then you have a theological misunderstanding that is much bigger than anything else. And so you have Gentiles who are like, we like bacon, right? And the old Jewish grandma's like, bacon's gross and wrong and sinful. And you have to navigate that a little bit. And uh, Peter gets this vision that is going to tell him everything's open to you. And isn't that beautiful that the world is given back to you right now? It's, it's open to you now. You can enjoy all of these things guilt-free. All right, we'll get more to that when we get into the book of, of Galatians, and we'll repeat kind of some of that stuff. I'd like to go to uh, Paul's first three missionary journeys. Paul's going to be sent up from Antioch, which is going to be uh, uh, north of Jerusalem as the uh, Mediterranean Sea kind of uh, um, juts into the east um, with Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey to the south, and uh, modern-day Lebanon and, pa and uh, Palestine and Israel. Um, to to the east and that corner uh, is going to be this town Antioch where where Christians are called Christians for the very first time and Paul is commissioned and he goes to Cyprus and then into what we call modern day Turkey a lot of stuff happens there you you've read that um, there is then the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 where they kind of hammer out this stuff about the Jewish and Gentile mix that's going on here and they and they we call this the first council of the church right uh, they had a problem they met together and they looked to the Word of God and they hashed it out Paul's second missionary journey um, he is now going to uh, retrace his steps somewhat in Asia Minor modern-day Turkey and then he's going to make a big move He's going to cross over into what we now know as Europe today. So he's going to go to places like Philippi and Thessalonica. Eventually, he's going to get to, to Athens and Corinth. He takes a third missionary journey as well uh, and retraces his steps uh, through some of the first two missionary journeys, makes it to Ephesus, a very important city there. And you read those stories, so we're not going to hash them out uh, uh, just now. And then he's going to take a fourth missionary journey, and we put that missionary journey in quotes because he's going to be put on trial. And uh, Paul, one note that we didn't mention about him is that his, his father was a Roman citizen, and so therefore he was a Roman citizen. And 
He doesn't play this card, but he can appeal to the Supreme Court, much like we can in the United States. The Supreme Court in the Roman Empire was Caesar Augustus himself. And so he appeals to that, and he's going to make his way to Rome, and that'll be his quote-unquote fourth missionary journey. So that is a too brief kind of and too fast overview of the first, uh, uh, really most of, of the Acts of the Apostles. But you did your reading, students, so you should be able to fill in the gaps there. I just wanted to highlight a few things and maybe maybe give you a little few in theological insights into those stories. When we come back uh, for next time, we're going to put Paul on trial again and have his fourth missionary journey. But we're also going to talk about resurrection apologetics and a little bit of soteriology as well. It's going to be another whirlwind uh, course there. So until next time, please do your work, work hard, love your neighbor, be safe, and let the bird fly. <laughs>